It is uh, such a blessing to be able to, to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Stephen, and I am an ordained minister in the PCA, and I serve out of bounds as the dean of students at Heritage Christian Academy, uh, which is a, a ministry of the, the Mother Church of Christ the Redeemer, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Overland Park. And so my family are members there. We get to worship there, and I get to help serve there um, as the Lord allows. But, but one of the blessings of this season of life is that I get to uh, be able to come and worship with several of our sister churches in the Presbytery. And at this point, I think I was counting earlier, I've made it to all but three, um, which is, it's fascinating because I get to observe, you know, how, how things are different, um, what kind of chairs everyone has, and who has the most comfortable ones, um, even behind the pulpit. Um, these are by far the fanciest, I think. Um, and, uh, but also, one thing that I, I didn't realize until today, I finally had a moment to like put thoughts to it, was uh, with my years of youth ministry in the Presbytery, I know a lot of the, the students in the different churches, um, but now some of them are getting older, and so there are moments in pastoral prayers where you hear a name, and you're like, what? Um, and Luke Steenstra just went to basic training and grad, that's so amazing. Um, so uh, yeah, it definitely got my my distracted mind for a moment took my heart off of the Lord and onto how fascinating and awesome that is. Um, with all that being said, thank you for having me. It's a blessing to be able to come here and to be able to bring the word to you all from Deuteronomy 30. Um, this passage, to give you just a little bit of a, an introduction, I, I chose it because it's one of those passages, if you've ever had a moment in time or you're, you're studying scripture, or maybe you're listening to a sermon, or reading a book, or, or a podcast, or whatever it might be, uh, and you hear someone teach from a passage, uh, and it just opens your eyes to the gospel in a new way. Um, this passage has been that for me. Uh, in, during my time in seminary, this is one of the passages that, that really kind of convinced me of Presbyterian theology, and covenant theology, and and all sorts of things, and it, and it was amazing to me to see God working through this passage. And so um, to have the opportunity to ex expound from it and share this with you all is, is awesome. Um, just to set the stage for you all, Deuteronomy 30 takes place uh, at the very end of the book of Deuteronomy, and this is a, a, a book that was written as Moses and the, the Israelites were on the plains of Moab about to enter into the promised land. And so Moses, as God's prophet, is re-giving, if you will, the law of God to his people and, and reminding them of how they're supposed to live as they enter the promised land, this new generation of Israelites that have, have come up as they wandered in the wilderness. And as it gets to the end, you have these chapters, Deuteronomy 27 through 29, that kind of build upon what we're about to read. And in these chapters, there's blessing that's presented and curse. All the blessings that will come upon Israel as they enter the land if they do what is right and obey the law of God. And it's clear that these blessings are, are gracious. It's something that's earned, but it's also very gracious. The, the, just the abundance upon which God will bestow his blessings upon these people is amazing. But the curses are equally stark and terrifying. And we'll see that. So I want to read some of each just to kind of prepare us for what we're about to read. So Deuteronomy 28, 10 through 12, this is just an excerpt of some of the blessings. It says, And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. 
And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the works of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. So there's this sense of prosperity, being the best nation of all the nations around them, and most importantly, having this presence of God that's continually with them. Now the curses, to to contrast, they are terrifying. Both D.A. Carson and Tim Keller say that they're some of the fiercest and most ferocious passages of Scripture in the Bible. And and they are, I I like to use a a term from my childhood to describe this. We used to use this phrase, nightmare fuel, um, which is this idea that something that you read about, hear about, experience during the day haunts you at night because of how dark and scary it is. And that's exactly what this is. So we're going to read Deuteronomy 28, 58 through 68. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. And he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering in to take possession of it. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart, and failing eyes, and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread, and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, If only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, If only it were morning, because of the dread that your heart shall feel, feel, and the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promise that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no buyer. really bad. I don't know if you, you caught some of the extent of these curses. But he says that, that all the plagues that they had experienced in Egypt would come upon them. And not only that, but all the other plagues that exist in the world. So it's pretty comprehensive. It's going to be miserable. God's going to kick them out of the land that he's promised to give them and scatter them among the nations. God says he's going to destroy them if they can't uphold the law. It says that they're going to go back to Egypt, and Egypt won't even want them as slaves and will reject them. In the morning time, the morning will be so terrifying and looking at the day and thinking about what's next that they'll just wish it was nighttime. And at nighttime, the night and what's ahead of them will be so terrifying that they're just wishing for the morning to come. It's about as bad as it could possibly get. Now, all that sets the stage for what we're going to read now. This is the the text for today, Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 20. It reads, 
And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you're outcasts or in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, as he took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning asking that you would bless the preaching of your word. Would you allow your word to challenge us in our sins, to equip us for this life, and to give us a greater hope in your son Jesus Christ for our salvation. Lord, I ask that you would help me to faithfully and truthfully preach your word. May it go forth in power, Lord, and accomplish these things. And at the same time, Lord, where I speak in weakness or error, please remove it from our hearts and minds so it does not take root. It's in Christ's name that I pray all these things. Amen. This is a, a passage that, that brings the Israelite people and it brings us to a place of, of having to choose, to choose between life and death, to choose between curse and blessing, really to choose between heaven and hell. I would say. It causes us to ask ourselves the question, what do we choose? 
right? What do you choose, the way of life or the, the way of death? And this is a passage that also presents to us this tension that you'll see throughout the scriptures, this idea of, of a God who's holy and just, who, who hates sin and who judges it completely and thoroughly and utterly, and a God who is loving and merciful and kind, who forgives sin, who restores and blesses the sinner out of his grace and his mercy. Uh, and because of that, it can be a bit of a conundrum for some people. As Christians, we look at this and say they are one and the same God, right? Two, two parts of the attributes of God, his, his justice and his mercy. And yet, it can be hard to reconcile, and, and so much so, uh, is because of the fact that we know that apart from Christ, we are, are sinful and deserving of judgment. And yet what we want God's love and his favor and his grace and his blessings. This is such a problem for some people that even critical scholars who approach the scriptures, they'll approach the book of Deuteronomy and they'll say there must be more than one author at work here. Because there's no way that someone could think of God as this and then come up with these characteristics, this sort of curse, this sort of, of reality. Uh, the goal today is to reconcile that tension, to, to hopefully clarify and correct all that and confront it. And, and as we do so, we're going to look at, at three points, the curse, the cure, and lastly, the calling. Now, we'll start with the, the curse. This is the worst part. And it, and it goes back to those curses that we read earlier. Now, if you remember the very first line of Deuteronomy 30, Moses says this, When all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curses, and you call them to mind from the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. Here, Moses is kind of like if this is, is a real thing, I don't know if it is or not, but an anti-motivational speaker. I mean, you can imagine hearing all the blessings and curses, hearing all the laws, you get to the edge of the promised land. You're about to leave the wilderness, and what you want to hear is, you can do it. You've got this. And Moses says, after the curses, you're going to fail, right? When all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curses, I can picture a motivational speaker saying, you got this, right? Name it and claim it. You can do it. That's prosperity gospel. But still, thinking in terms of those categories, we can do it. And, and, and here, the average Israelite person is, is sitting there listening, and he's thinking, hold on, Moses. Like, What happened to the cool, positive Moses that made us feel encouraged just a few chapters earlier? What happened to the God who, who took us out of Egypt and as we were leaving Egypt, allowed us to take all the gold and all the riches from our neighbors who put the, the curses upon them but not upon us and protected us from it. And now you're saying that Egypt, that same nation, won't even want us as slaves when you send us back. Moses is straight up telling them, you are going to fail in this endeavor. Now this shouldn't be a surprise for anyone who knows the history of the human race. For anyone who knows biblical history, and if you're not convinced that the Bible is scripture, for anyone that knows themselves, 
Because the reality is that we all have moral standards of how we ought to live and how the average person ought to live, what they ought to do to be good. And yet we fail to even meet those, and you fail to even meet those standards. I had a professor in seminary, his name is Dr. Estelle, uh, when Brian Estelle, once you go to school, you forever call your professors doctor or professor or whatever they are. Um, Brian Estelle, one of the, the most important things that he left with me in his teaching at seminary was this idea that Israel, as you read about Israel in Scripture, as you look at the history of Israel, as you hear the words of the prophets, as you observe how Israel acts at different times and different places, what Israel is and serves as for us is a picture of what mankind is like on display. It's a, a picture of how you or I would act if we were in those situations. Really, it's a picture of our depravity and our sin, a people who are called out, given the promises of God, blessed, and yet they continue to fail, continue to sin against God, continue to worship idols, continue to do these things. Um, he would say that Israel in Scripture is mankind on display in miniature, a picture of all mankind. You want to know what you are like from a bird's eye view? Look at Israel. God gives them his standards. He gives them the moral law, standards that they are promised, they promise to live up to, and in the end, they can't do it. And the curses here, as we've read, they're pretty dark, right? They're summarized here, but they're basically, it's a cutting off from God. Ultimately, it's, it's death, separation from the triune God, getting sent away from him, life in slavery and destitution, hating and fearing every single day. It's not too far from the way Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew describes hell as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Moses here, as God is giving him these words, he's, he's using language that really is ultimately eschatological. It's, 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 it's pointing to something beyond the land and beyond the realities that are, he's talking about. And Moses, as a prophet, he nails it from a historical perspective. If you, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, many of you are familiar with this, if not all, uh, he nails it. He's not only talking about Israel and the land, though. Right? It's, it's more than that. There's this spiritual death in this curse that's presented here in the text as all the curses come upon Israel. And it affects not just Israel, but all of us. You and me as well. In our sin, all of us deserve to be cut off from God, separated from him, just like Israel would be. And so understanding the curse is absolutely necessary for understanding what comes next. And if the curse is being cut off from God and our sin cuts us off from God, then we need a cure. Now there, this is a cure in the sense of, of those who are cursed, who are far from God. They're seen here now repenting, believing, and being brought from this point of death to life. And it's interesting to see the transition here. Right? You will be cursed in verses 1 through 4 to verses 9 and following where it says, you will be more prosperous and more numerous in everything, the work of your hand, the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your cattle, and the fruit of the ground. God will delight in prospering you even more than your fathers. So how do you get from curse that you deserve to all of that, to grace and mercy and abundance. And the cure is found in this kind of 
key verse, Deuteronomy 36. Look at this verse. This is, this is the gospel. It says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Everything that, that comes after this verse flows out of this verse. John Calvin, the great reformer, on this passage he wrote, Moses treats the means of propitiating God by returning into the right way with an unfeigned heart. But after he has testified that God will be gracious to them, he adds that there is need of a better remedy, so that being once restored by him, they may be perpetual recipients of his grace. What he means by that is here you see the people repenting. You see them returning to the Lord, putting their faith back in him and in his promises. But the law itself, it demands perfect, perpetual obedience. That means perfect obedience forever. It's not enough to repent and try again. You have to be perfect continually, forever. And that's impossible on our own. If that's all this verse told us, or this passage told us, then it would take you right back to Deuteronomy 31. Right back to all the curses that preceded, And right back to a place where you would try again and fail again. But here, here God is saying that when God resurrects somebody, when God regenerates somebody, when he saves somebody and brings them back to him, he does so once and for all, so that now they are not perpetually being condemned by the law, but perpetually receiving the grace of God. Something has transformed within them, within us. This is the circumcision of the heart that's found here in Deuteronomy 36. So what is circumcision of the heart? Well, circumcision in itself was this sacramental cutting off of a certain body part. And parents, I'll, I'll leave that to you to talk with your children about. Um, but it, in a nutshell, it was bloody, gross, horrific, but it signified something that could also be bloody and horrific. So circumcision was both a mark, and it was a mark of being set apart and holy unto God as his people. And yet it symbolized that you understood if you broke the covenant, the promise that you had made with God, if you broke the law, that the curse that would symbolize in it would come upon you as one was being cut off from God. So there was this natural cut-off aspect of circumcision that was symbolized in it. And for Israel, it was obvious that this meant that they would be cut off from God as his people entirely, which is what you see in the curses here in Deuteronomy 30, or 29 cut off from his presence, cut off from his, his land. In circumcision, you were physically set apart to God with the expectation that you would seek to live a blameless, holy, and righteous life or be cut off. But circumcision in and of itself didn't make you holy. It's a, a mark of holiness, but it doesn't make you holy. It didn't equip you for living that life. It just marked you. Here, when Moses revisits this idea of circumcision, now he's talking about circumcision of the heart. And he had commanded, if, if you read through the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 10, he commanded the Israelites to circumcise their own hearts, which is something that they couldn't actually do. So now he's making it clear that it's not them who's going to circumcise their hearts. 
God is going to do it. God is going to be the one who carries it out. That God will cut their hearts, allowing something internally to change so that they would now be able to obey the law of God. Now, I want to make it clear, this, this circumcision of the heart, this regeneration that you see here, this cure, it wasn't just making them holy internally and that outwardly now they would live their lives as if it didn't matter because God sees them as holy. Uh, it wasn't that. It was about making them holy internally, which would ultimately enable them to live as God had called them to live, to live according to that calling, to seek to uphold the law and to be able to do it, loving the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul that they would live. This cure, this circumcision of the heart, it is conversion. Jesus would call it, when he talked to Nicodemus, being born again. It's language that's picked up by Jeremiah the prophet as he prophesies about the new covenant and language that the Apostle Paul understood as being fulfilled ultimately in Jesus, the Messiah. So now we're back to this age-old question. If God is just and would bring about the punishment of sin to its fullest extent, then how could he also bring his sinful people back and bless them? And bless them abundantly. Those same people who broke the law, who worshipped idols. How could he do that? And this applies to us too. If our sin, if in it we deserve to be cursed and to be cut off because that's what sin does, how could we also be able to obey the voice of the Lord to keep his commands, to turn to him with all our hearts and with all our mind and with all our soul? In Romans 10, 6 through 9, Paul writes this. He's, he's writing about this passage here. He says, For Moses writes, about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, he's quoting, really preaching from, I would say, expounding from Deuteronomy 30. Look at verses 11 through 14 in Deuteronomy 30. It says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Here's the reality. You and I, Moses, the Israelite people in the Old Testament, we will fail. You will fail, I will fail, and we have already. We are sinners who break the law of God. And we even break our own expectations of what is right or wrong. We can't live up to those standards, we just can't. We can't live by the law and be declared righteous by our own upholding of it. It's too hard, 
to use language from this passage, it's too far off. So Moses says, who will go to heaven for us and get the ability to uphold the law and bring it back? And what does Paul say? We don't have to go up because the Son of God, Jesus himself, came down, took on flesh, dwelt among us. Moses says, who will go over the sea for us Who will face all the perils of death and overcome them for us so that we might gain the secret knowledge to obey God's law and conquer the curse? And Paul tells us, we don't have to face death because Jesus already did. He died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again from the grave. He tasted the curse of the covenant, the ultimate cutting off because of our sin and disobedience to law. And when all seemed hopeless, He rose again out of the grave alive. And because of this, we're told if we believe that Jesus is the Lord God and that he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. We will be rescued. We will be cured. Our hearts will be circumcised, according to Deuteronomy 36. And we will receive a new life. Life of those who were once dead but have now been brought back from the dead. Able to fulfill the calling that God has placed on our lives. So why is Moses so obsessed about how God's people are to live? If you look at the last 10 verses here, it's, it's focusing in on how God's people are to live after he's just told them they can't do it on their own and God has to do it for them. I think there's, there's two aspects to this answer. It's one, because God's people are called to. We should live in a certain way that pleases God and brings him glory. And inadvertently, it benefits us if we do, right? For us to to love God and love others, it benefits us. And two, secondly, because now we're able to live up to his calling. Up until this point in Deuteronomy, the people of God have received information about the law. They've learned what is expected from them, what to do, how to do it, when to do it, what not to do, when not to do it, all that. And they've learned what will happen if they fail, and that they will inevitably fail. But here it's no longer talking about what is expected of them, but about how God will enable them to finally do what is pleasing to him. Dr. Estelle, who I referenced earlier, he wrote of this passage, he said, Once God circumcises a believer's heart, meeting the demands of his law will no longer be beyond one's ability, although it will be still performed imperfectly. But the Spirit's presence and sanctification will enable the person's will to be God's will. God will enable us to fulfill his law. Notice the frustration, he goes on to say, notice the frustration addressed here in the text. They are not longing for mere information. They are longing for power and for ability. This section of Deuteronomy is addressing the ability to do the commands. They know what God wants them to do. They have the knowledge. They need the ability. It's in this faithful pursuit of God's will, an outworking and outpouring of his faithfulness to us in Jesus, that we're able to live lives that bring glory to God. As it says in verse 20 of this passage, it says that we would love the Lord your God, obey his voice, hold fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. It's in Jesus who fulfilled the law perfectly when we couldn't 
that the curse is ultimately carried out and that circumcision is fulfilled. It's in Christ on the cross that he is cut off so that we might be born again, regenerated, and made right with God, cured from sin. And it's through Christ's own resurrection that we're given this true and better life where our desire to live for him, our calling and our sense of duty to uphold the law, all those things, our ability even to joyously do so, they're all wed together. We'll still sin. We'll still fail. But we're able and capable to because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us because God has circumcised our hearts. This doesn't earn our salvation or life with God. It's already been earned for us. Praise the Lord. Because in Jesus, the curse is fully and completely carried out on the cross. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, we come before you today grateful and humbled by your blessings and love for us, which is so clearly displayed in your word. You are a God of steadfast love, a God of mercy and of grace. And you have chosen for yourself as your people, us, those who are weak, those who are sinful, those who are deserving of your full curse. And we praise you that in Christ we can look to find both the obedience, which we could not live out ourselves, and the punishment which we so justly deserve to bear ourselves. And in him we can find hope that both of those things are enough in your sight. And we are now declared holy and perfect in your eyes. Please allow us to rest in these truths today and to be encouraged by them as we depart. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.